You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Now, because this could go down a really uh, bad rabbit trail, uh, and but I'm we, just going to stop but it. But for the record, <laughs> for the record, we love foot washing. Yay, Monday, Thursday. Hey, 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 everybody! Welcome, hi, hello, at hello. home, at home, the podcast episode, season two, episode thirteen, continuing on with our Jesus Went series, and as we've just been discussing uh, prior to our really unnecessary conversation about foot washing. <laughs> <laughs> it is Easter week. Uh, man, Easter is coming, guys. It is it is coming. We're going to celebrate uh, some Resurrection Sunday. We're going to scream it from the rooftops. He is risen. But not before, not before we go through the pain and suffering of Good Friday. Let's let's not skip to the party. Let's go through the whole process. Am I right? Am I yes. right? Holy should... Week Holy Week has such a special oh, meaning, man. and you just got to settle in. Oh, hey, tune so in. Amazon Prime. Ooh. You get that uh, chosen. You kind of soak it in a little bit. You've been augmenting. About... You've been augmenting your whole this this whole <laughs> yes, season. I have. with chosen viewing. It, I nice. has, and it's been really good for me. Well, to, you guys were on vacation. Like, I watched all of the chosen. You, you did. You binged well, the chosen season one. Season one. Yeah, because nice. season I, two I does cost, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. It's worth it though. For it is, isn't it worth it? <laughs> well, I kind of was thinking about how it tied to even today, the Sunday sermon on the Samaritan woman, which is the last of the episodes, which beautiful, was yes. pretty cool. So Chris, hey, set us up. Uh, this week was Jesus went to the places of shame, places where there were shame. We've talked about in the past this sort of in the biblical context it being uh, a, a shame culture that the idea of shame is very, very important. Um, in kind of the social construct of the day of Jesus, so uh, a lot going on there. We'll see. We'll see what rabbit trails we uh, go down on this mm-hmm. one because there's just so much happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, Chris, set us up. Give us the uh, give us the overview. I think woven all through Scripture is this theme of a God who forgives, a God who meets us in our broken places, and a God who ultimately redeems uh, and, and turns us and uses us in a lot of ways that we never even saw coming. When I look at the fact that Jesus went to places of shame, this was a a place that was countercultural because he would interact with people who would be deemed unclean or would be seen as people you just as a good follower of God would not ever interact with. And uh, I told stories, I just recalled different things about like the woman with the issue of blood, uh, the woman who was at the well at the midday. And then we, we broke into this idea about Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Walk through that story a little bit and talking about her shame, and really we saw that this woman was just a pawn in this game. I, I mentioned on Sunday that I wanted to go backwards just a little bit in this podcast. When you look at the fact that the Pharisees were trying to trap them, uh, John chapter 8 tells us that the, the goal of the Pharisees was to trap Jesus uh, in this predicament. Uh, you have to ask the question, why? So Jesus had been teaching in the temple in the chapters prior, and and he was starting to get a following, and people were watching and paying attention to this. Uh, At one point in John chapter 7, the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering about, could Jesus be the Messiah? Is this possible? Is this, this possibly him? And so they sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. And uh, about 13 verses later, uh, it says, When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? 
What what's going on? And their response was, "We've never heard anyone speak like this." It's just the picture that scene. Like, hey, we're here to rescue, you, but whoa, <laughs> that's yeah. really good. Yeah. And then they walk home forgetting. Oh yeah, by the way, oh, I th- sorry, we didn't actually arrest him. He, after all, he, he was, he's like really he's good. like this is not the Jesus you're looking for. Like yeah. this is kind of a yeah. But I think again, when you look at the Pharisees and their objection to this, it was taking away from them. It was somebody who was overshadowing their influence and somebody who's creating a buzz, they wanted to deal with that. And so I think it's really interesting as you see chapter 8 start, uh, Jesus is returning to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he's back again at the temple. And so here's their opportunity. Let's set him up. Let's trap him. And so they bring in this woman who was caught in adultery. And uh, you know the story. I don't have to rehash it all, but it was really an opportunity where a woman who was caught in shame, which brings about so many other questions, really. Like, she was caught in the act. Where's the guy yep. in this deal? Why is he not? Because by judicial law back mm-hmm. in, in, in that day, according to Leviticus uh, 20, he should also be put to death. Where's he? The other is, how did the Pharisees know this? What were they doing? Actually, what sins were they committing? While this I have was, so many questions. Yeah, I mean, there's so all kinds many. of things yeah. that are going on here that yep. just didn't seem to make sense to me. But nonetheless, uh, they bring her before and they trap him because, you know, according to Jewish law, she demanded to be stoned. According to Roman law, this was not something that the Jews could take care of, this, this execution. So what are you going to do? And so... Uh, that's kind of where the story set out, and then we made some points after that. But. Yeah, I I think, uh, and I should say, because we always need to mention who's in the room with us, so obviously Chris. Uh, Tyler's with us here today, too. Hi, Tyler. Hello. Hi. Thanks Thanks for sitting across from me today. Love it. So I don't have to stare off into the emptiness. Uh, and, then, and then Angie. Hi, Angie. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's good to have you back. We were actually, as a quick little aside here, we were all discussing how some of us went away, some of us didn't, and uh, clearly um, nothing burnt down. So that's good. Those who don't vacation get an extra jewel in their crown. Oh, you know? that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful and wrong. Uh, so... We're just glad we're all here and together. Yes, it's good to be in the back. room together. Yeah. So uh, continuing on in our, our just in the conversation here, what I'm what I'm intrigued with is I think the because again we, the Pharisees get a lot of bad press here and rightfully so and I understand and I I have just always been intrigued with like the mind of the Pharisee right be, because it's clear as Chris has pointed out here. They are overlooking a ton of like the pharisaical mindset seems almost to overlook a ton of things for the sake of kind of banging their own religious drum. Like they're so their behavior becomes really apparent to us in the New Testament. The hostility, the hypocrisy that we see. Um, And yet I think in its origins, they're wanting they're wanting to be. They're wanting to restore Israel to its proper place by faithful law abiding. That like that's that's where it's where it's coming from, and and yet in the midst of all of that, they do things that Jesus says. You know, they they heap up heavy burdens upon people and are not willing to lift even a finger to help others. And so they they themselves become a more of a trap and a hindrance for people coming to the Messiah than than they do um, actually. Uh, revealing and and 
like being hopeful that that the Messiah I has come. Totally agree, Joel. And I I kind of sit in this thought a lot of times when we think about the Pharisees, what would their personalities were like? Because yep. they had to be one of those. I mean, <clears throat> conflict-oriented people <laughs> that yeah. just went after, and in a way, they were very, they were un, they were not self-aware. Like they had no idea of their own sin, and I just think about that. And it, there's such a good example for us, though. Like we often say, "Aren't you glad that we have these people to learn from in the scriptures?" But we're all sitting here going, <laughs> um, "This is a mirror at times oh, for sure, all right. of us." Sure. And if we can't say that we've never lacked forgiveness or been uh, without understanding and trying to push our um, agenda on others and without love, I think we've all been there. And so I think Jesus and this the scriptures are God-ordained, so he uses this, I think, to teach us even about our own selves as we see this story unfold, which... Joel, I asked you and Chris and um, Tyler that as I was doing my research, this was not necessarily in the early Greek manuscripts because Mm -hmm. that's another big question. Well, why? Yeah. Why did it get put into the later? And I I loved your reasoning, Joel, of what you said, your professors. Yeah. uh, Well, my early professors, not, and I want to be clear before I, if ever my Bethel, my Bethel (laughs) university professors hear this, they'll be like shocked. No, my, my first institution, which I'll remain nameless right now. Uh, you know, it's like the, the approach was, well, it's in the Bible, so we just accept it, right? Like there's kind of this thing. But to your point, there might be some other things going on here with uh, with like, hey, uh, this, the picture this paints Paint. yes. is uh, it's a little it's a little difficult. And, you know, maybe some people wanted to omit some things for the sake of, you know, not getting well. Yeah, just not having the whole thing rubbed out of history altogether. So anyway. Um, so Jesus comes through boy. Oh boy. And, and, and here's, I think this is the one thing that points out. We, we just said this maybe uh, beforehand. Uh, she is, her sin is actually not the issue here. Mm -mm. Right. 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 And it's not even what is presented. I don't think that that's the point of anything. It's not what she was in, not what she was doing at all. Just the pawn. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and when we look at this through the three different lenses, the woman's lens uh, through the Pharisees and through Jesus, I think we see different stories begin to be told. This lady, her sin's exposed. Uh, What is it that she expects? I mean, death, right? That is the law. Uh, She's now facing this opportunity to probably be breathing her last moments of life. And uh, and so what what a position to be in. But here come the Pharisees, and they're all about, they're not about compassion. They're, they have ulterior motives. And then here comes the Christ. <laughs> I love the picture. Uh, we talked about a little bit on Sunday uh, how Jesus really, I feel like, in a lot of ways ignored them. Because they oh. kept, it says in, I think it's in uh, John chapter 8, verse 6, they kept asking him, or verse 7, mm-hmm. they kept asking him, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? It's as though Jesus stooped down and just starts writing in the dirt. I like to think that he probably glanced up at him a couple times, like <laughs> as he did it, and then just puts his head back down, keeps writing, and they keep pressing because it wouldn't say that they kept pressing if he just, you know, engaged them right away. What are we going to do? What do you do? What's your answer? Tell us. Tell us. Write some more. What he, did he write? I, you know, in some of the um, manuscripts, it says, you know, maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he wrote, because what's his next question? It, it points out yeah. that in that, as he's writing, then he looks up and he says, well, who without sin can right. condemn her? But that was maybe some of those things that he was writing had to do with 
what yeah. he was not saying. Yeah. I, you know, there's a list of questions I'd love to ask uh, when we get to heaven. I'm sure I'll forget them all uh, because I'll just be glad to be there. But this is one, like, what did you write? <laughs> I want to know what you wrote. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe he used the law to combat what they were even doing and thinking through. So, yeah, who knows? But nonetheless, it had an impact because they began to drop the stones and uh, I thought it was interesting uh, that they began to leave, and it even it even uh, addresses the age of which those who began to leave in. Uh, and it says here in John chapter eight verse nine, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. <laughs> Why? You know, what, what do yeah. you think about that? Why do you think that is? Yeah. Well, probably because they were aware that. Of their own sin, in a way, it, it made yeah. a it made a it made a connection. No, no offense, Tyler. And here's the young, the here's youngest, the young, here's the young Tyler. Tyler. The least sinful. Yeah. 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 No, no, clearly not. No. But, uh, <laughs> but here's Tyler standing there with his rock still going. Hey guys, where would everybody go? Where, like, yeah. Am I supposed to leave now too? What, yeah. what the deal? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I think that's the on the on the specific topic of shame and and I think cuz I want to define I want to define shame for us a little bit here and and jump into that uh that conversation because the the interesting thing is here is that these these people bring shame upon her um but have no intention of remedying that shame or making or making a way out because as you've pointed out Darned if you do, darned if you don't on this one. Like you're either way. So they're so they're not even looking for a solution. What they're looking for is is to use her as a pawn to trap to trap Jesus. But but she's just going to be a she's going to be a fatality in all of this, and uh, or or stands to be. And so what Jesus has to do is he has to meet her in her shame and undo it because if she's just left there stuck essentially, then well then. How does that how does that play out? And so, I, I just love. I mean, Tyler, what do you like? What do you see when you hear these words of Jesus directed at this woman? Um, his response to her, what like what comes to what comes to your mind? Because I, I think right now, like our our culture here, typically culture in the West, we're more of a guilt culture. So, right. and I'm making a distinction here: guilt being I did a bad thing, I need to do different next time. Shame being, I am a bad person, and if anyone finds out, that's going to be even worse for me. So I need to either cover up, withdraw, you know, remove myself from community, whatever. So it's it's behavior versus like in behavior driven versus internal like identity image driven. What do you hear, Tyler, when when you see these words of Jesus as directed toward her? That he doesn't say anything about what she's done wrong. He only asks like, where are the ones who are accusing you? And then when he speaks to what she's done, the only thing he says is, move away from it. That is not who you are. Go and sin no more. There's a sense that Jesus is not speaking into the shame to condemn her, but to free her from that shame. Whereas these people, guided by you know religious and political uh, reasons, they're bringing her, like you said, the user as a tool, and Jesus is seeing the person right in front of him. Yeah. Well, and I just want to point out, because I think to go alongside that, I love what Chris said, and I made a big note of it, because usually the person who's the accuser is speaking of someone, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Pharisees are doing, where Jesus, man, he speaks to her. He speaks 
and he talks with her. The Pharisees had no conversation regarding her. They were speaking of her. And I thought that was really important because don't we fall into that sometimes? We speak of rather than two people. And I think Jesus is showing us here his power of relationship, his power Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. connection and care about the person and about who she was, not it wasn't about what she did. Yeah, if you have, if you don't have a relationship with a person, and this is the this is the reality in the day and age from which we are, digital media and all. If you don't have a relationship with a person, uh, you are able to treat them in all sorts of unsavory and unpleasant and unloving unloving ways without the weight of the relational conviction behind that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into really really big trouble. Here, that, that's what empowered in this case. What empowered the Pharisees, right? Their goals are have nothing to do with the redemption of a person. That is what Jesus's goals. It's actually it's what he came to do to redeem people. And so his approach toward her, it, we just see the stark contrast uh, between between these two. And it's kind of like, um, okay, who do I want to be more like? I think that emerges as obvious. And then who am I actually in daily life? Who do I tend to be? Where am I tempted to be more like uh, more like those those Pharisees uh, pointing those things out? I think we've said it, Chris, here in a few of our messages, and it's a conversation we have frequently. You know, we, we need as Jesus followers to become a – dare I say, and this is for our kind of our broad evangelical camp that we found, find ourselves in – um, listen, it's not that we want to play nice with sin. I, I, we 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 are not here to to say no. You know that's okay, and God will forgive you, and you just keep on keep on keeping on. Um, that's not what we're saying. Uh, at the same time, we do need to be aware that people people frequently act in congruence or in relationship to what their beliefs are about something. And so when someone acts in a way that, that we find shocking or strange or different than our, than our own, I, I think we can just pump the brakes real quick and say, uh, they have a different world and life view. Their perspective on this is, is different. We would say it's a broken perspective, but, but let's get away from the shock and the awe that people that are in our lives or that we see that are maybe not walking with the Lord or maybe are in a different place in their discipleship journey, make choices and do things that are like, Oh, that's, that's not great. You know, that's not great. Or that's not going to bring, that's not going to bring life. Our, our response should be as it was Jesus's compassion and then respond to the need. Go, go and sin, no go and sin no more. But I, but I'm not here to, I'm not here to condemn. Yeah. So it's like we don't back off of the central message of there needs to be life change, but we also don't leave a person in a pit and say, hey, until you get yourself, get your act together here. Let, when you get your act together, let, come and find me, and then we can have a conversation about spiritual transformation. I agree with you. I, I think we need to make a distinction, though, uh, even for the listener who may didn't, maybe didn't listen to the sermon. Uh, there is a difference between shame and in conviction, yeah, mm-hmm. and and yep. and that's really important because I think that the day we live in, we justify everything. <laughs> Ooh, I feel guilty. Well, that's not of God. No, that's not necessarily the case here. There is a difference between shame, conviction. On the other hand, is is a deal where uh, I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit prompts us to make changes, and we feel 
the need to make a change or conviction. Yeah. Uh, I think that shame is a feeling of humiliation or regret over something we've done. And it's this nagging voice that just kind of keeps reminding us of this mistake that we've done. And it, it almost becomes the definition of who we are. There you go. But yeah. let's not break, uh, let, let's not, let's not break this whole thing down and, and miss that there is such a thing as Holy Spirit conviction in our lives. Mm-hmm. Because I think we don't like anything in our culture that causes us pain yeah. or to question anything these days. And and this is not the case here. Yeah. Well, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull us into the next point, which you pointed out, is that Jesus wasn't going to leave her where she was at. Yep. He meets her and takes her out of her sin. And I think, I think this is key for us to understand where shame and guilt and all this comes together, is that the reason... God gives us conviction is on the purpose of heart change. It's not that um, he wants us to look a certain way. He, he wants our heart to change. He wants us to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. We don't come to church. We don't do Bible. I always say we don't do Bible studies. We don't read our scriptures. We don't do devotions just to know about God. Why do we do it? So that we can have real change in our lives because our belief system of who we are in the original person that God created us is important because we have to see ourselves as what? Sinners. That's If we think we got it all together, I think we have to go back and see that we are just like this gal in different ways. Just because she was in a act of adultery or whatever was going on. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Like you said, Joel, it, we, we call it out. But then Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. He calls her out of that sin and to go and sin no more. There has to be heart change. That is key. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I was thinking back to like John chapter five, where <laughs> Jesus finds the man at the temple after he's healed him and says, okay, so a healing has occurred. It's an amazing thing. The man's been set free from things. And then he says to him, Go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. And it's and it's like so. There's there's no backing, like there's no backing off. Uh, just be clear, the Jesus's concern for a person is that um, that they will be eternally separated from the Father. That's what he. So that's what he, that's what he's trying to bring people to. And I think if that's our motivation, if our motivation is. I want both myself, I want to be restored to the Father, I want to live a life of continual restoration toward the Father because I goof up on a daily basis and recognize that and want to live in that grace and that understanding. But I also, like, you know, we don't have to play, we don't have to play with kid gloves here because Jesus doesn't. When he brings healing and redemption to a person, he says, hey, now make a life change. Uh, because by the way, there is something worse than you being caught in adultery. There is something worse than you being uh, lame or afflicted or demon possessed or whatever. The, whatever. Some, there is something worse, and we're asking what the question is. The, the, the worse is being eternally, eternally. separated mm-hmm. from the Father, mm-hmm. and and that that's so. I just like, that's my gut check for me. It's like am, is my biggest concern about this person that I'm working with or I'm in life with or whatever that that they are in some way separated from the father. Is that my driving concern? Cause I think that can really change just the very nature of our conver- of our conversations. It gets me out of the way, which is quite honestly, a, that's a pretty big obstacle, you know, just like I didn't get me out of the way first. Let the spirit work here. Let, let the Jesus's guidance and direction be the thing um, that's at the forefront, which. Well, and I wrote this down too, 
as I listened to what you were saying on Sunday, Chris, that Satan, he wants to put the shame on us. He wants us to believe the lie that we don't deserve redemption or that, man, I'm going to live in this identity because there's, you know, really no purpose for me. I'm going to just stay there. Oh, I'm so ashamed of this. I can't get out from underneath it. That's, that's a lie of Satan. He wants to keep the shame on us. But what is the power of the cross and of Jesus and his power of redemption? It's shame off of you. Absolutely. Why is it we don't get this? Uh, why is it that churches in America miss this? Uh, it just seems to me that the lack of grace that exists inside these walls from time to time is just something that uh, is prevalent. So mm-hmm. why in the world, um, why can't we? Uh, I started this, sun, this Sunday by talking about how grateful I am for grace, how grateful I am for words like forgiveness and freedom. Don't you agree? And we do. Everybody agrees. Like, I am, I, those words should bring joy to a follower of Jesus. Why don't we want to speak that onto other people? Why do we want to keep them uh, in, in a position of, of uh, shame? I mean, that's really about, about the, the word. Why is the church not more compassionate towards people who are found in sin? Because we're not free, I think. I mean, I, like, like, like I just have this deep, um, oh gosh, I just have within myself, and it's like, because goodness knows, like for any one of us, this is an internal battle for us individually. Like, like if I'm real honest, the thing that the Bible calls slavery is the thing that is like is pulling pulling at me heavy on a, on a regular basis. The thing that the Bible calls freedom in life is is what I want to believe to actually be slavery. Like that, like that's the that's the the flesh part of me. It confuses freedom and biblical freedom with biblical slavery all all of the time, and and I just think like. Can I can I even make it a little less complicated for people? So Angie's saying that I made it. I made no, it complicated. No, it's not complicated. No, what bring you're it down. Saying. Yeah, go for but it. But I really, I really do think it's that we do not have the Jesus understanding. We are kind of trapped like the Pharisees in a way of understanding of what we think Jesus wants from us. What we think Jesus is supposed what we are supposed to be. It's like mm. we have this preconceived expectation of Christianity. And like you're saying, it it comes down to what is true freedom, what yeah. is slavery, but it really is that I don't I just I think that we're stuck with the understanding of this Jesus. He's a little different than our our way of doing things. It's so odd, though. You know, I, I struggle with this because some of our favorite people, some, one of our favorite people to quote in scriptures, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Right? And we're like, oh, what a guy. What a great guy. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the words that he's written, a very prolific writer of scripture, and we quote and we quote and we quote and we say, what a great person. And yet, for some reason, we were okay with his past. You know, how come we can't get to that point with others? I think, yeah, when I, when I think about this connection, I think part of it comes down to, like, the fact that a lot of people in the American church like to think that they're in the woman's spot, the place of um, of Jesus's forgiveness to, to move on when they need to look and say, like, maybe I'm in the Pharisee's spot. Because the, the Pharisees, you know, this sect of 
Judaism. They're all about legalese because they want to come into what they view as eternal life for the Jewish people to be free completely from sin. And they view that through the lens of we are going to do everything to drive out sin from our people. And that's why they take these steps. And so I think in the American church, a lot of times we view it as our duty to drive the sin out of people without showing the compassion first to be like, if we looked at more of the Pharisees reaction to Jesus's words, and we started to realize, you know, maybe we need to take the steps of putting the stones down before we can start taking the steps that this woman did. I think that's the steps that we in the American church need to take. Joel, do you, you know, a little bit about cognitive distortions? I think that we don't bring it into a biblical perspective sometimes. But I think Chris is asking that. Why do we have a distorted view of why do we automatically go negative on people? Why do we automatically see the worst? You know, all those distortions. There's like nine out there that you could go. And this is exactly that that whole idea of our first take at what this situation is and how we put people. Um, we just we, we make the negative judgment quickly yeah and some of it has to do i mean subconsciously with how we see ourselves i mean so much of it is a is a projection that we we're putting out on so i think because because like deep in my heart i'm like mm, okay why would i be doing the thing that they're doing right now oh well for all the wrong reasons therefore i immediately am going to going to jump into assume and there could be any i mean multiple layers to that i i just think like when we come – I was trying to think of like a word to approach this with, like kind of a, a mindset. I think when we approach people with spiritual curiosity, I think when we're curious about people, we, we, suspend, we suspend judgment initially. We, may, we, we suspend judgment. We seek to understand. We seek to assume the, the best, which by the way, in assuming the best, we put ourselves out there to be to – be, unpleasantly surprised, taken advantage of, or to be in a less than, um, we, we don't have the upper upper hand or the high ground in, in that sometimes, which by the way, I would say is a posture that Jesus took on a regular basis. I mean, the people he's hanging with, he is making himself subject to a, a perspective of like, Jesus is not spiritual. No way he can be the Messiah. He's he's hanging around these these places of ill repute um, does he not know what kind of people he's dealing with? Dot 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 dot. And let's just be clear: Jesus always knew. He was a hundred percent like the Jesus sees the the naked world. Like you have to this be this mindset for a second. Every person that Jesus comes into contact with, he knows their full story, beginning to end. Knows what they're thinking in the minute. Knows their deepest, darkest, most terrible brokenness, and yet. Look at how he approaches them. Like you and I do not like we approach people poorly and we don't even have any of that info avail- available to us. You know, think about that. So it's like so like again, he is God. Um but I just think to, I just think to myself like we have no we have no idea. I mean the fact that Jesus was even able to to function as a human being on this planet knowing what he knew and and operating amongst the people that he was operating like we all of us here in seeing that would have a full on meltdown like we 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 it would be so overwhelming to us we we could not handle people to that degree and yet he did so i i just go i just say okay 
if Jesus fully knew everybody and reacted to them in this way, I don't have that luxury. I only know bits and pieces of people. At, I can at least enter into that posture of, of Christ. Does that does that make does that make mm-hmm. sense? I just I, it just it strikes me because we forget like Jesus is God. He's walking on the, he's walking on the face of the earth with a lot more tools in his uh, in, in knowledge in his belt than we have. But but there's an example there. I think that can be really followed. Um, so man, I I got real. I didn't even preach this Sunday. I just got me real <laughs> wow. lit up there. Jesus. Wow. So, sorry. <laughs> Let's make a shift. Yeah, please. So the person who is listening to this and is dealing with shame, mm-hmm. what do you have? What do you have uh, to offer them? What encouragement? Well, I've, I was thinking about that as you were preaching on Sunday because how many of us know that we keep those things hidden? And I think you mentioned that shame keeps you hidden. You begin to doubt yourself. And then you um, become kind of, uh, I guess you could say, you you, you, hes- you use the word hesitate. I was going to say kind of escape. That was the word I was going to use in that situation that shame kind of wants you to escape. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. What happens? Yeah, absolutely. Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden. Yes. <laughs> trying, they go hide. Trying, trying to hide in the garden. I mean... Like God, like God they, is he really going? Hey, I wonder where you were. Well, I've lost where, you. Yeah. Where are and you then people? they kind of like, well, you know, God, you 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 didn't want us. They kind of have a little bit of doubt. He 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 didn't have our best interest in. Yep. You know, he told us that we could we couldn't eat and we couldn't do this, and he gave us all these rules. Yeah, the idea. Well, the, the first lie is that God is withholding. That mm-hmm. that's that's what, and it always starts with the question: Did God really? You know, like, it's that's, the doubt. It's the doubt right 100%. there. And so I say. This is the natural shift. We see it in scripture. And so uh, sometimes it's just an awareness. And I think that is Jesus's goal for us at one time is just to be aware. And all the the gal on the ground did was Jesus said, where are you? Where are your accusers? Yeah. Yeah. There's no one here. Yeah. The, the great question back in the garden when, when God asked, where are you? I mean, that's a oh whole boy. That's got, that's a lot of layers there. Mm-hmm. Like, like he doesn't know. <laughs> Uh, but the, you know, there is a, there's a big problem. There's a big problem when the creator of the universe is asking his creation, where are, where are you? Right. So that's a deep existential question. They've made a covering for themselves in their, in their nakedness. Cause now their eyes are opened and they're, they're feeling like they can quite honestly, like they can be judged. This is, this is the big thing. They can be judged, which the whole theme of, we, I don't know if we've ever taught a sermon, we should teach a sermon series on the theme of nudity in the Old Testament. Like there's, it's, uh, it comes, it comes up a lot, uh, surprisingly, surprisingly. The whole idea of, of nakedness and shame related to nakedness mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, right? Um, but this is the beauty. This is the, this is the beauty of the gospel. And this is, this is what I hope the person who is battling shame hears. Adam and Eve want to make coverings for themselves. Those coverings will not do. They will not do. So whatever whatever covering a shame-filled person is making for themselves, it will not last. It will not be sufficient. What does God do? And this is this is a this is a foretelling of the gospel to come. He goes, makes a sacrifice of an animal, make, makes a sacrifice. Has something has to die. We, we're not told where, mm-hmm. but God comes back with animal coverings. For them. For them. Mm-hmm. He supplies that for them. 
Um, you know, and we're not too much farther in the story. But with, he supplies. I think a yeah. lot of people miss that because yeah. that is a foretelling of the Messiah and yep. the covering yep. that he offers us yep. in our exposure and our because we want to hide. We want to hide our sin. But Jesus is telling her to just go walk away from it yep. and come away. Don't yep. hide it. Don't live in it. Just well, away. it's the same thing, the story of the woman of the well. Look, you think about this. After she has an encounter with Jesus, the woman at the well says, let me tell you, let me, she's been hiding, and now she's at the city circle, and she's like, let me tell you about everything in my life that this guy, this guy uncovered. What, how did the script get flipped there? Uh, Jesus said, come to me with the water that I provide, and you'll never be thirsty again. And it's because. It's because her shame is blotted out because of who Jesus is that she now has a strength that she did not have before, and it's not a hiding strength. She sees her story as a testimony. Like, like it's it's how she fundamentally sees her story is 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 mm-hmm. is dramatically dramatically shifted. Which I think that's true for so many of us. We need to see, we need to see our story differently in the light of God's grace and the light and see it as a testimony of like, hey, he can he can shift things. I said it last Sunday, and I, I want to keep on coming back to this. Our our thing here in the community, we need to do a better job of this. It's something we have been talking about as a team. There are stories out there I know for our community of 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 exactly what we're talking about here, and I think it's a big it's incumbent upon us as leaders to start telling those stories, start start making those available to people, because I think if more and more of us can hear, like, oh, people change. People can receive God's grace and forgiveness. This is like a real human thing that can happen in real time. I think the more that we encounter that, uh, the more hope we pump into uh, into these stories. Well, and I think we have to see the redemption here and that Satan would like you to keep the shame on you. And I, like, Chris, I, I, I think we could tell that a million times over. Absolutely. Because if we, if we sit in that lie that, Oh, that shame. That's Satan's desire. I think the thing that absolutely breaks my heart is thinking through the potential that is sitting out there because the world and the church has told them, you don't add up anymore. You're disqualified. You can't. Um, And how many people are relegated to the bench and God's got a Paul-like story Mm. waiting Mm -hmm. for them. Yes. But we Mm -hmm. can't see past the shame. And they're they're hanging out in the shadows. Yeah. And I just feel like, man, if we could grasp that, what if what if our local church became a place where brokenness is okay? Mm-hmm. I would love to see that, not for the sake of celebrating the sin by any means, but because we realize full on that we are sinners in need of a savior, and we are sinners in, who have experienced grace, like we've um, we can only imagine. You yeah, know, and I just feel like we need to get more people off the bench. Yep, we mentioned the Apostle Paul earlier. You know, he wrote what he wrote because he was fueled by that. Like he, like the dude was a terrorist. It was an absolute terrorist, imprisoning, taking the lives of Christians, and then he's called to the very people that he's he's oppressing. And by the way, if you don't get your shame off of you, you don't you don't answer that call. Like you cannot step into the thing that he was called in unless you get a real sense of like, oh, I'm not defined by this anymore. I've been forgiven and I've been called to something uh, significant. And and if it's true for Paul, it's definitely true for us um, as as we any of us sit here trying to trying to follow after Jesus and 
receive what he offers. I so I, I just happened to go to my Bible app because it was open to Chris's notes, but Romans chapter eight speaks to that change that, you know, the law can't even give it. That's what the Pharisees wanted. Yeah. And they wanted the law to redeem people. And that's not what the law was set for. And so Jesus came to redeem from sins. And so I just want to read it's out of new living translation. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Oh, Come on Perfect now. verse mm. for the beginning of Holy Week. God, beautiful, beautiful. Friends, we're so grateful uh, that you uh, are able to join us in this conversation. Uh, we love your feedback. Uh, and and uh, even above your feedback, we would just want to continue to welcome you to uh, run this race with us, um, be on mission for the sake of uh, the gospel, be on mission for the sake of uh, Jesus's uh, freeing, well, just, yeah, the freedom that he offers. Uh, that's what we just, we're very, very excited about that around here. And so we invite you to that. We want to call people that are following Jesus to invite others to it as well. This is a, it's a team sport that we're all, uh, we're all part of here. So guys, thanks for joining us. We look forward to uh, joining you uh, next week as well, each week as we do. Um, and just, we wish uh, that, well, we wish each and every one of you a a blessed and meaningful and reflective and life-changing uh, Holy Week as we enter into it here. Um, and we want to celebrate, uh, well, the uh, empty tomb that's coming. So grace and peace to each of you. We'll see you next time. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkymc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.